I can either get my notes or wing it, so I think I'll get my notes. That could have been a test in faith, but I don't know which direction that one was supposed to go, so we are glad to have you with us this morning, um, just to give you kind of a uh, snapshot of what the next couple of weeks will look like. Um, if you've been with us for a while, you'll, you've, you'll know that we've been going through the book of Romans. Uh, we are near the end, so um, this week I am going to preach a sermon uh, geared towards uh, Mother's Day uh, next week. Um, Mr. Montoya, uh, Carlos Montoya, Jonathan Montoya's Dad will be preaching all the way here from Panama for his son's wedding, so uh, you will be blessed by that. The following week, um, the following two weeks, I'll preach a sermon on Romans, and then, Lord willing, uh, Gary will preach the final sermon in Romans the week after that. And so he and I are kind of going through what's going to happen uh, this summer and beyond as far as uh, the preaching goes. But this morning, I do want to dig in and to, uh, to, to preach a sermon um, that is referencing and around uh, Mother's Day. And one of the things that I want to start off with is just a word of how thankful I am, um, as I, just personally, for the, the mom that I've had and uh, the mother of my children. Uh, I couldn't ask for a, a better spouse and a better mother to my children. The other thing that I'm thankful for is I look around this congregation and I see, I see you all digging in as moms and doing uh, the hard work. And, and I just want to say, I, I just see some wonderful and spectacular things. Some of the things that just um, especially warm my heart is when I see uh, some of you moms huddled together plotting on how you're going to uh, discipline, no, plotting on how you're going to encourage one another uh, to continue to bring up your children in the way they should be brought up. Um, all the time here, I see some of the uh, more experienced mothers, is that the right way to say that, whose kids may have left the home, um, just pouring in to other moms, young moms. And, and this is a wonderful, wonderful thing. And you all know I have a special place in my heart, and just really, um, it just warms me also to see some of you even taking steps to be mothers to children that either don't have a mother or functionally don't have a mother, whether that's, whether that's a, a grandparent role stepping in and taking, uh, taking up some of the slack that needs to be taken up, or whether that's many of you who have taken in kids in your home through foster care or adoption. And um, it is a worthwhile endeavor, and I am just so thankful uh, for you. Today... Today, as we jump into the Word and jump into this sermon, one of the things that I want to do is, is just take some time and, and just to, to use this as an opportunity to further kind of what was laid out for us uh, this summer at family camp and that you've heard about, about the family discipleship model that we're moving to and how as a church we're here to equip and assist you as parents and, and that we view the home uh, and we view the parents as the primary disciplers of their children. And so we are beginning, especially as Damon comes on board, uh, we're beginning to relook at how we do children's ministry and youth ministry in order to equip you uh, to do the work um, that is parenting and discipling your children. 
So today, I want to just lay out a little bit of a vision, and, and hopefully, hopefully you'll leave here encouraged. One of the dangers of uh, sermons like these is that sometimes we leave here feeling guilty uh, and like failures, and I just want to let you know that we, we all fail, we all mess up. A, a good example in my own life is uh, I took Flannery last night on a uh, probably our first real father-daughter date. Uh, and she had to take her date shoes, which I would not let her wear because they were high heels that she wanted to walk across the walking bridge in. And I had all these thoughts of, oh, this is going to be great and wonderful and these lessons that she'll learn. But I think the lesson she learned from the father-daughter date was that she gets anything she wants. Literally, Chick-fil-A, pizza, cookies, and ice cream. Sorry, boys. I told you, she's full. She's going to be. So, so we, all, we all fall short. Um, we all, um, uh, we all um, struggle in parenting. And so I don't want you, you to leave here discouraged. I don't want you to leave here beat up. But, but, but I, wanna, I, I do think it's our responsibility to look in God's Word and see what God's design is, to see what His plan is, and to encourage one another. The other thing that I don't want to happen either is that if you are not a mother... Uh, that meaning whether you're male or you're a teenager or that you're single or um, you don't have children, have never had children, please stay with me because there is a very, very, very special place for you uh, in the midst of this as well. And so I want you to hang with me as we, uh, as we go through this. Now, the first thing I want to look at, for, just spend a little bit of time on, is, is I want to look at uh, the, the design, uh, of God's design for the family, God's design for motherhood. And it starts back in Genesis where uh, God says uh, to the very first man and woman to be fruitful and multiply. And so one of the things that I uh, sometimes wonder if we think about very often is why did God say that? Now, you may think, oh, well, to subdue the earth. Well, well, but why? <laughs> and I think to get, we could have a whole long sermon on this, but I'm just going to sum it up very quickly. I think to get to the why that God would say to be fruitful and multiply, we look at the last book of the Bible in Revelation where you have a people of every tongue, nation, and tribe worshiping God. That that's the why. And it's important that we get that in our mind because real quickly in Genesis, we have God giving Adam and Eve this mandate to be fruitful and multiply. And then we also have, uh, after the fall, we have this verse there in Genesis that we use in weddings, rightfully so, that says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two become one flesh. So the idea is, is that there's multiplication and multiplication and multiplication and multiplication for this in purpose of the glory of God together for eternity. And the only problem, there's not a problem with the design, there's not a problem with the plan, but the problem that we brought to the table was sin. And that sin fractured our relationship with God, and so now we have a people who are multiplying and remultiplying and remultiplying, and there is a fracture in that relationship with God. And so God has created a way Ultimately, through Jesus, He's created a way for us to be reunified with God so that that end plan will be fulfilled. And nested, nested within this plan 
is the role of the family. And I want you to see this uh, in a couple of places in the Old Testament, and then I want to jump into the New Testament in a moment and give you an example of this. So you see this idea uh, nested uh, here in the Old Testament. In the verses we read this morning, I just want to go back and read verses 8 and 9 in Proverbs chapter 1. Notice that the, this proverb is written to my son. So, and it's not written to mothers or fathers, but just hear this with me this morning. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments to your neck. Now, this isn't unusual. We have these sort of... Uh, these sort of commands in the book of Proverbs and in the Psalms and throughout uh, various uh, writings in the Old Testament. In fact, we have the fifth commandment, which is what? Children, obey your parents. And that is repeated all throughout, not only the Old Testament, but we also see that repeated in the New Testament. And so we have this idea that children are supposed to hear and children are supposed to obey and so the natural conclusion is, is that parents are to be doing what? Teaching. <laughs> speaking. That's, that's my speaking. <laughs> we're supposed to be teaching and we're supposed to be instructing. So, so, so part of this is that there, there, there are the words, there should be these times when there are words coming out of our mouth where we're instructing our children in the ways of the Lord. And there are other times, all times, where we should be instructing them by our actions and behaviors. And I know what you're thinking. And yes, our children should learn not only through our successes, but through our failures also. That we should be quick to come back to them and say, hey, I was wrong here. I, I didn't do this right. But, but the idea that we get through the wisdom literature is that parents are to be the primary instructors of their children when it comes to theology and morality. All over the New Testament, I mean the Old Testament, that this is the primary job and role of parents. We also see this real quickly in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And these are verses that are very familiar to you. Chapter 6, verse 4. Just, just listen to this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul. And with all your might. So notice what we have here is we have this proclamation, this, these, these, this theological statement of the Lord your God, Yahweh, the Yahweh, God, the God of the Scriptures is one. He's the one and only true God, and He is the only God. This big theological principle. So, boom, hear Israel, hear this. The second thing is, is that your response to this big, great, one, true God is full devotion with everything that's in you. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. And then notice this. Notice this. You shall teach them diligently to your sons. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way. And when you lie down. And when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they will be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and of your gates. And so from the very, very, very beginning, the command 
for the home in which God is the centerpiece is that the parents are to be instructing their kids, again, not only with words, but in how we walk, in what we do, in what things are in and around our home. You know, what's interesting here, in some ways, this, this very first part of this verse, Hero is the Lord your God is one. The Lord is our God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, with all your might. In some ways, this is a summing up of Romans 1 through 12.1. <laughs> of this great theology of who God is. Paul unpacks it. <laughs> and then this proclamation, here's what you do. And so church, as we have gone through this, as we have gone through Romans, and as we're digging through Romans, and we're here together and we're learning together, is this the heartbeat of who you are as parents in order that you view your goal? Moms in particular this morning, because it's Mother's Day. Moms in particular, is this what your heart is about? Do, do you see the gravity in this situation that it's our responsibility in the home, it's God's design, that our children be brought up in the way that they should go. Which brings another question to mind. That I want to challenge us. And that is, how do we think about kids? Do we think about kids in this, in this way? That this is the responsibility? Or do we... Adopt the view that our kids are a burden. Do we adopt the view that life is about routine? It's about shuffling kids around, getting them where they need to go. And is success just that we made everything that we're supposed to do in the timeliest manner that we were supposed to do it. And so therefore we are creating well-rounded kids. And so we can check that off our list and we can start again tomorrow. Or what about this? Do we view parenting as just a phase that we have to get through so that we can really enjoy life? Now, the reason it was so easy for me to come up with some of these things is because as a sinner, (laughs) at various times, this is the way we think sometimes, right? So what I want to do this morning is to encourage you towards a God vision toward a God vision of what raising kids should be. And I want to encourage you, I want to encourage you uh, to look at your children, to look at this responsibility as a great and good thing. Jim Hamilton, um, he's a, a theologian, and he's written several books. He said this, Motherhood is a sacred privilege. It's a sacred privilege granted by God's good pleasure. God has given you these kids to train up and to go, and there's no greater, there is no greater responsibility. So, the second thing I want to look at is the plan. And, um, and I, this is something that I have termed gospel mothering. And so, I, I'd like us to, to dig in, and uh, these three points that I'm going to give you we could spend a lot of time digging through and, and uh, navigating, and, and there's, it, it's rich. There's a lot of good stuff here, but I'm going to give the fast version uh, so that you can... Well, you know, maybe if, we, if I preach longer, you'll avoid the lines because you'll be later, right? 
Okay, no amens on that. So, all right, we're going to do the, the, the quick version through this. The three elements of gospel-centered mothering. And the first one is this. The first one is this. We have to look at motherhood as a mission field. You've got to look at motherhood as a mission field. What I mean by this is that if I were to ask you the question, what do your kids need most, what should your response be? Jesus. Why? Because they're sinners. This is a huge... I mean, this, I, I want this to land on us in a big way. Our children are sinners in need of God's grace. And so gospel mothering, biblical motherhood, recognizes that our children are sinners and the greatest need they have is a relationship with Christ. So that when we are raising them, when we're teaching them from a very early age, that we should emphasize the fact that they're sinners. Not in a mean way, like we shouldn't call them sinner as they're running away from us. But we should be instructing them about what sin is and what sin does to us. That it separates us from God and that there is only one remedy for sin. And that's faith in Jesus Christ. Which leads to the other part of this, of knowing that our kids are sinners. Mothers and fathers, we have to teach our children that the only way to be reconciled with God, the only way that they can be right with God, justified in the sight of God, is by faith. And sometimes we make the mistakes as parents of phrases like this to our unregenerate, unregenerate children. You know, God doesn't like that behavior. And that, then it ends there. What are we teaching? Very oftentimes, we're unknowingly teaching a justification by works. Many times over the years, I've had children come to me because they want to be baptized, and as I listen to their testimonies, they do not understand the gospel at all. What they're clinging to for their salvation is that mom and dad are Christians, or that they feel like at this point in their life their good deeds have outweighed their bad deeds. Brothers and sisters, we have to view motherhood as a mission field in which we lay out the gospel constantly, where our instruction and our discipline is pointing them to Christ and is pointing them to grace. I, I tell you the testimonies that I love to hear, and I've heard many of them here. These are my favorite testimonies. It's not the, when I was four, I started using drugs, and by eight, I murdered 18 million people. And, I mean, those are awesome. Don't get me wrong. But my favorite testimonies, because it reflects on you all, is this. I can't remember a time when I didn't believe that God existed. I've always believed that God existed. But you know, I realized that I was a sinner. And my mom and dad always taught me that Jesus is the one who takes away my sins. And if I put my... And they, and they just lay this wonderful testimony out. I, that is the greatest testimony to hear because it means, as mothers in particular... In, because we're celebrating mothers today, that you've done your job and you've seen your home as a mission field. So the first thing is the first thing is that motherhood is a mission field. The second thing is this gospel mothering. The second part of this is motherhood. Motherhood is a discipling program. That once your child accepts Christ, 
It is your job to then bring up that child in the ways of the Lord. It is your job to disciple that child. And so our homes need to be a word-centered home where we, the Bible is, is read, the Bible is talked about, the Bible is lived out. That we're laying out for our children, what does a Christ follower look like at 12 years old? What does a Christ follower look like at 16, 18 years old? What, are, what do you want your children to be striving for in their Christian walk? What sins are they working on? What sins are they overcoming? How are they fighting sin? Have we laid out a good strategy for them to, to fight sin? They've got to know what they're aiming for. Now, th- this gets hard, right? And, and this, is, this is, I think, one of the main areas where as a church... We're gearing up and and equipping to come alongside you all and to help put resources in your hands to help with this. Some of you didn't grow up in Christian homes. Some of you, your mothers or fathers, didn't disciple you at that age. Some of you, when your kids, all of us, when our kids get to teenagers, are like, what in the world just happened? And you need somebody to come along beside and and to help. And and we want to do that. We want to equip you to do that work. But, but... But, please, please keep it in the front of your minds, mothers, that this is the job of your home to disciple these kids. So that's the second thing. The third one, the last one, last point on this. It isn't, isn't the end of the sermon. But the last point here in gospel mothering is this. So the first is you need, you see, you need to see mothering as missions. The second one, mothering as discipling. And the third one, the third one is mothering as sending. Mothering as sending. The goal, the goal of our homes should be that we're unleashing Christ followers to the world. That we're unleashing Christ followers to the world. Again, back in Genesis, that we're we're, we're training our children so that they leave us, they cleave to another one, and then they, they reduplicate. They reduplicate. The, with the, so, so this is where it's important to have that end in mind and to start there. Again, in uh, Deuteronomy, those verses we read about this robust, God-centered worldview where they're loving God with their whole being. That we're teaching them that whatever occupation that you go into... That the end goal is not the occupation in and of itself. The end goal is to be a kingdom builder. That you were saved, according to Ephesians 2, verse 10, you were saved to a work that God had prepared beforehand for you. There's that old poem, and I think Gary mentioned this the other day. Again, it it resonated with me. I've heard it several times before, and... I think Gary said this the other day, but the, the whole idea of only one life soon will pass, only what's done for Christ will last. That our goals as mothers and fathers, but again, it's Mother's Day, is that we're sending our children into the world. That our goal as, as a mother is that we know that our children who are believers have become part of of the Great Commission, and they have a vital role to play in that Great Commission. And the key here, the key here is to have a vision. Think about this. If this was the vision of us as parents, 
that we have this vision and this prayer that one day in heaven we will rejoice to see the untold number of people that our children impacted because of the way they lived out their faith as they left our home. There is nothing greater than that. There is nothing greater than that. The danger, the danger is that many times we send our children into the world the same way the rest of the world is sending their kids out into the world. That the focus is good school, good job, good this, good that. There's nothing wrong with those things. The only problem with that is that the main goal in sending our children from the home is loving God with all that you are and constantly and daily laying down your life for the greater purpose of the gospel. Now, I want to give you a a case study here, and I want to just, again, briefly uh, look at Timothy. Now, many of you probably know that uh, Timothy was a young man that we see pop up all over uh, Paul's writings. We first see him in Acts, and then he pops up all over Paul's writings. And he was vital in the early church. I mean, just vital in the early church. All the, we could spend a long time talking about all the things that Timothy uh, was a part of and could speculate a part of even more, but we know what a help he was to Paul. He was vital in helping Paul. Uh, he was known by the apostles. He was a great missionary. He was on the front lines. And, you know, we see him uh, kind of make his home as Paul is writing him. That's where we get First and Second Timothy. As Paul is writing him, he's the pastor at Ephesus. And, and I want to jump to Second Timothy because it's really interesting when we jump into Second Timothy and Paul is writing to Timothy here and he's encouraging him and he's instructing him on what he should do. And let's just look at verse 1 because I want you to get the context. We'll look at... It says, but realize this, in the last days difficult time will come, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of God, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Hold to a form of godliness. Holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such of these. And then later in this same discussion of of how he should be encouraged and how he should uh, contend with this. Notice what he says in verse uh, 14 and 15 in 2 Timothy chapter 3. You, however, continue in the things you have learned. So notice this. He's, he's, he's pointing him back to something that he, have, he has learned in the past, some, to the things that you have learned and become convinced of knowing from whom you learn them. Now, let's pause for a second. So Paul is telling Timothy how to stand strong in the faith. He's telling him how to pastor this church through some difficult times. And what he tells them is, listen, stand firm to the things you have learned in the past and stand firm knowing whom you have learned them from. And, and you know, you might expect Paul to say, me, Paul, he does that in other places. Or another one of the apostles. No, notice what he says in verse 15. And that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And so we have, what we see is that Paul is pointing Timothy back to, 
to his childhood. Now, if you flip your Bible over, just uh, in my Bible, it's just one page, and you look in the first chapter in verse 5, notice what Paul says in the first chapter, verse 5. For I am mindful, look at this, of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it's in you as well. Is that not remarkable? And so what we see is Paul is instructing Timothy, he's saying, remember your grandmother and your mother, and remember what they taught you. And remember the example they lived before you. We could also look, you say, well, what about his dad? Well, let's look in Acts chapter 16. You don't have to go there, I'll read it to you. But in Acts chapter 1 and 2, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy. Notice this, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek, and he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. What is going on here is that Paul had a father, but he wasn't a believer. And so Paul's instruction in the, in the Lord, and Paul's salvation in the Lord, Paul's discipling in the Lord, and Paul's sending out in the Lord, and the very foundation of who Paul, I mean, Timothy was, <laughs> sorry, Paul is pointing him back to, and notice the brilliance of this, it was his grandmother and his mother. So moms, be encouraged to be like these ladies. Now, I want to point out just a a couple of other things here. The first thing is this. Moms, be encouraged, and one of the ways you can be encouraged is that Timothy's mother didn't do it alone. Right? Timothy's mother, she, Timothy's mother had her mother. You were not meant to do it alone. In Titus chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, it says this. Or let me start in verse 3. Older women likewise be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, or enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands and to love their children to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the Word of God will not be dishonored. And so what I want you to see, moms, as I have laid out what this gospel vision of mothering is, the encouragement I want you to take is that you were never meant to do it alone. And I think you know that if you try to do it alone, you get frustrated fairly easy. You were never meant to do it alone, that there are meant to be women who come along beside you and they encourage you and they teach you. One of the ways that we do this at Single Mountain Bible Church is through a ministry in which we call Titus 2. And that is where different generations of women gather together for this purpose. Uh, purpose, did I say purpose? Purpose is what I meant to say. For this purpose, <laughs> to be encouraged and equipped to love their children, and to love their husbands. And if you would like to be involved with that, if you will email Amy, uh, she will get you in touch with the people you need to get in touch with and get you involved in one of these Titus 2 groups. I want to say just a word to the older women, and then we will move towards an ending. To the older women who have walked this path, 
one of the things that I want to just lean in on you, thank you for the work that you do and that I see you doing around this church. It really is remarkable. But I just want to encourage you by a way of reminder that you know, you remember the struggles of these younger moms. As I sit down with some of you and hear you all talk about your child-rearing days, um, and they're never over, by the way, from what I hear. My mom would say that about me. Um, But as I hear you talk, you remember the struggles. Things are different in today's day and age, but some of the struggles are the same. How difficult it is to balance all life's demands. How, how as, as, as a woman who is uh, mothering children, how the focus can get distracted really easy uh, with all the things that are going on and with all the demands on our time. You all's time. I'm not a mother. You can help these young women fight some of the temptations that will bury them if they let them. And one, I just want to talk about two, but one of the temptations is this feeling of not being good enough, not being adequate, and not measuring up. One of the things that I think mothers should probably do is get off of social media. Because just the moment that you feel like that, you know, that you're having a terrible day and your kids aren't listening and they're not behaving, you click on Facebook and you see... Uh, so-and-so who's got 27 kids and the kids are all dressed and have never had a stain, don't play in the dirt and say yes ma'am every time their mother asks them to do something. It's not real, by the way. But how guilty do you feel when you go on Facebook and you look at this? Well, what about this? What about when you're having a struggle with one of your children and you buy a parenting book, everybody's recommending books to you and you try your hardest but there's just not a book that fits your child. Life is hard in parenting sometimes, and you need an older woman in your life. So this is to older women. Older women, you need to come alongside some of these moms and just let them cry, let them vent, and don't let them kill their children. That's success some days. So many moms don't feel good enough because their kids are struggling with something. Whether it's, a, whether it's an academic struggle or a, um, a, a struggle with behavior or, or whatever. And, and there are some really good moms that, that just get overwhelmed by this sense of not feeling good enough. And I think old women, you know this because you felt it yourself at some point, And it's good to come alongside and be able to encourage these moms. The other thing that I want you to help some of these younger women fight are, are some of the cultural trends that are delivering message to young moms that are so poisonous in the endeavor of raising godly children. Part of these are, are things like this. Uh, the, there's three things. Uh, kids as obstacles to what I want out of life. Meaning, um, you know, um, I want a... Uh, I was going to say something. I, uh, what you want out of life. To be successful in a job. To have the perfect appearance. To... Uh, be able to uh, work out 80 times a week. Whatever your goals are, that children become those obstacles. Your children are not an obstacle, but I think our culture permeates this idea through commercials and various other things that the kids are an obstacle to what you really want. So you've got to find a way to navigate around the obstacles. Older mothers who have walked this path can encourage our young mothers that, no, 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 your children is not an obstacle. Your children is, your child is a blessing. 
Sometimes I think some of the other cultural ideas that permeate uh, motherhood are that kids are obstacles to who I am. One of the worst things that I hear is uh, somebody say, I'm just a mom. And I want to say there's no greater calling in the world than being a mom. But sometimes I hear women lament, you know, when they see somebody else who has 18 jobs and they're CEO and they've got 27 kids that they're lamenting, oh, you know, here's who I am. Or I could climb that social ladder or I could have done this or I could have done that. Again, you need to be focused back on what gospel-centered mothering is. And that sometimes our culture also puts out the message that kids are obstacles to true purpose. That true purpose being uh, happiness or um, power or some other thing. And you know as mothers, you don't feel very powerful when you have strong-willed, snotty-nosed kids who don't do what you ask them to do. And you're four times as big as they are. Or two times. Sorry, moms. I know, that's bad. There's so many landmines out here today that are just navigating between. Older moms, you know these pressures and temptations. Love our young, continue to love our younger women well. Now, here is towards the ending. Last week, as Gary uh, preached his sermon, as preached the sermon in Romans chapter 16, and was going through the list. Remember last week as he was going through the list, he got to the point where uh, Paul was greeting all these people and he said uh, uh, to Rufus's mother and mine. Several weeks ago as we were uh, building up to Easter, uh, we were in the book of John and I referenced in the book of John where Jesus looking down from the cross and he says, woman, or John, behold your mother, mother, behold your son. And one of the things that strikes me about the New Testament, and those are just two examples of many, but in the Christian community, when we become a Christian, we don't just like join a club. The Bible speaks of it as you're joining a family. And so familial lines kind of get disintegrated at some level. It doesn't mean that you can farm out your kids and say, hey, today they're going home with you, we'll pick them up in two years. That's not what I mean by that. But what I do mean by this is our relationships, our relationships within the body of Christ should be of such that we're looking to, uh, we're looking to come alongside. We're looking to care for the children. So my goal, my responsibility is to come alongside and care for the children of our church like a father would. To be another father-type figure. Not take the place of their father, but be a father-type figure. Similarly, as moms, as, as women in this church... You have a special role. So no matter if you're single, if you've never had children, if you're not married, if you're uh, a teenager, um, you can help mother children in this church. And I think there are plenty of examples. I think there are plenty examples in the New Testament of these familial lines being uh, erased away. That doesn't mean you have free reign. So, so nobody go start spanking kids who you think need to be spanked. That's not what we're saying. DCS might get called quick, but what we are saying is, what we are saying is that if you're sitting here this morning and you don't have kids, but you have a burden for kids, help some of these young moms out. I cannot tell you, I cannot tell you, you would make some people's day. Let's say you're 19, 20 years old and, and you would 
you, you just got a burden for kids. You would make somebody's day if you took out somebody's teenage daughter and uh, talked with them if you were a female. And you took out their... Again, <laughs> landmines. Thank you, Liz. Huh. And you poured into these young girls' lives. Can you imagine? I, th- there will be moms that faint at this. But, but if, if just randomly, you know, let's say that you're a, you're, you're a 25-year-old uh, young lady and you say, hey, you know, I would really uh, like to just come over to your house and watch your kids. Why don't you just go get coffee or go find a hole to sleep in or whatever you need to do as a mom? Or some of the older women who, who come alongside with that wisdom and say, hey, let me take your kids. Let me do this. Let me, let me do this for you. And so, so what we're wanting, what we're wanting as a church, again, is to be a place that comes alongside, that equips you, parents, in your job of discipling your kids. And we want to be a place that helps with resources. We want to be a place that helps with people. We want to be a place that that helps in a number of ways. And my prayer is that Signal Mountain Bible Church continues to be a place to help parents victoriously struggle to raise kids t- together where the, in a home where the gospel is clearly presented, where kids are discipled, and where we're sending out kids uh, for the work that God has for them to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, even as I talk about motherhood and I think about uh, parenting and thinking about my own failures in this, God, I am just keenly aware that without your help, without your spirit indwelling, without the encouragement of your word, this endeavor is impossible. So God, we thank you for the gifts that you've given us of your spirit your word. And God, we thank you for the gift that you've given us of each other. God, I pray that here at Signal Mountain Bible Church that we will just be noted as a place who surrounds families and comes to the aid of parents as we attempt to raise our children in the ways that they should go, knowing knowing that there's no perfect formula that our kids make their own decisions and sometimes they break our hearts. But God, help us not to shrink back in the fear of that, but to march forward in loving each other well. We pray for all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.